It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Greg Daly. He's the co-founder of Claris Designs, a consulting firm specializing in corporate growth through efficient scaling to maximize potential. So, Greg, welcome to Accelerate. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm re- really excited. Oh, good. Good. Um, so, take a minute. Let me fill out the introduction. How did you get your start in business? How did you get your start doing what you're doing? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, I guess it really started when I was... Uh, Six years old, I had some I had some kind of medical issues, and over the course of a week, kind of went from normal eyesight to being legally blind. And so, through that process, kind of like spent a lot of time trying to adapt and cope, and and pretty quickly learned that you know the techniques and tools that people use to solve problems on a daily basis, whether it's ordering food or crossing the street, were not going to work for me. And so, kind of developed this thought process where I would approach problems assuming that what everyone else is doing was not going to work. Um, and so it kind of lent itself well <laughs> it was to not work when for I, you. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, um, so it lent itself well to, you know, once I graduated college, I, uh, landed at a startup and I was their first, became their first business intelligence analyst and kind of thought about scaling and thought about problems, um, and just ignored all the research out there and all the best practices and kind of went about trying to figure out and doing a lot of testing to figure out what worked and, and what didn't. Um, and so from that, the company ended up doing really well. I think they were around 30 million when I, no, they were actually about like 15 million when I got there. And I think closer to 200 when I left, uh, three years later. So, um, so, you know, it worked really well and I, I really enjoyed the process of problem solving and, and, um, growing. And so wanted to do that for other companies to kind of see if, you know, I was, I was mostly curious if this this idea of assuming that you know the best practices won't work and and thinking through what to do uh, like objectively if, if that would work. And so uh, my partner and I started the started Claire's Designs uh, about a year and a half ago and uh, been doing that ever since. So what is it you do? Um, so the idea is to we we help um, sales and marketing teams uh, make better decisions and grow using data. So instead of relying on, you know, experience or what Google does or things like that, like we focus on looking at your data and, and helping you look at it in a way to make better decisions and, and grow that way. All right. So you've got this <laughs> you've got this statement on your website that you say we eliminate duplicate and inconsistent data by identifying the source of truth. So what is the truth? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I mean it, it really it really varies uh, case by case, right? I think you know, you're going to have you're going to have some companies where you know their source of truth is is going to be based on kind of like a, a sales process or a marketing process um you know it, it it really varies but i think the problem that you run into is you have different departments and different teams kind of quoting different numbers mm-hmm. um so a big part of being able to make data driven decisions is is getting to a, a common source of, source of truth that's kind of <laughs> something we learned when we started this we kind of went into it thinking you know, we're going to take everyone's data, do some fancy analysis. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we pretty quickly learned, like, you know, no one really has clean data. So we kind of have to start there to, to be able to do the, the fun stuff. So truth, what you're saying is truth is subjective. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that most things, most things in, at, in startups are subjective. I think it's based on whatever your goals are. All right. So, as I like to say, truth is a a relative value, not an absolute value. So, um, so which it's true in life in general, right? So, um, <laughs> so when you're talking about data that you're helping companies with, so give examples of the data that you're analyzing to help them make better decisions. Um, yeah. So, you know, a, a big, a, a, a lot of what we do is, is trying to kind of simplify what people are looking at and, and focus on things that are, are actionable. So an example is, you know, there's a lot of data points that people are focused on that really are not very actionable. So an example of that is, um, you know, you see a lot of research around how many touches it takes to get a hold of a contact. And so because of that, companies are really focused on activity metrics and how many emails are we are we sending as a as a company and as a team and you know um how many what how many touches per rep or per contact does it take to to Mm -hmm. connect with someone and things like that and um you know it's definitely not super easy to track that stuff it's it's kind of labor intensive um but more importantly it's it's not as valuable as people think you know having you know perfect (laughs) visibility there's there's the catch a it's not easy to find the data, and once you get it, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, so you know, interesting. No, knowing that it takes you know five emails on average, as opposed to seven or eight or three, it's not really going to change what you do. Um, and so, well, it's not going to change what you do. Meaning what? Meaning, meaning that if if you tell a sales leader, hey, I, I can tell you with a hundred percent accuracy, it, it takes seven emails to reach a prospect. Um, you know. Th- their SDRs are still going to be emailing and calling. You know, it's not like they're going to say, "Okay, well, it's been seven, so we're going to stop emailing." Because if it's an average, then you would expect if if it's a normally distributed average, you'd expect half those contacts to need more. Um, and so, it, it's it ends up not being very helpful. And so, focusing on you know, are we sending two hundred emails or are we sending, um, you know, are we emailing everyone five or six or seven times? It, it ends up not really changing the business and not really changing how people act on a day-to-day basis so how do you control for the variables in the you know the message in the email the gosh you know the subject line you know an opening sentence anything that that you know, has the impact of influencing the prospect whether to a either read the email based on the subject line or b having read the email take any sort of action um, I mean, for the most part, you 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 don't really. I mean, you you could do that, and you could say, you know, you could te- you could A/B test different subject lines or different messages. Um, but generally, when we talk to companies that are really interested in kind of those types of activity metrics, we we tend to tell them to you know focus on other things. Um, just because we we haven't found that that is very useful to to focus on. Okay, uh, saying it to really to sort of buttress your point, which was that whether it's it's nine touches or 13 touches. You said it almost doesn't really matter. And some of the, the details about A-B testing, some of the, the components so on, almost seem like they have less relevance as well. So what does matter in those situations? Um, I mean, I think that, I think what matters is, you know, uh, like not focusing on like specific metrics, but focusing on on metrics in relation to like other changes. So an example would be, um, not just focusing on new customers, but looking at like new customer growth in relation to average average sales price, sales cycle, things like that. 
because um, what you you'll find is in a lot of cases if you if you show me a company who got who doubled their the number of customers they brought on last quarter, I guarantee you their average selling price decreased by a lot, right? Because the easiest way to do that is to either discount or bring or bring on smaller customers. Um, so, I think it's it's more about like educating companies and educating leaders who don't necessarily come from a, like a data centric background um, into how to think about the data they have and how to use that to manage better. Well, let's let's finish up on this, this point with the one you just talked about because you're right. I mean, people are getting increasingly focused on on even more granular metrics in their sales process, and and it seems to me to the point you made is is that we're getting into the situation where you sort of the can't see the forest for the trees type syndrome when it comes to these things. Um, yeah. So so what is what is the answer? So we have frontline managers that. Yeah, have not just frontline, throw up and down the chain. You know, people have activity metrics. I mean, it's especially in the SaaS business, this, they thrive on, on, and you know, subsist on activity metrics. So, what do you recommend that that people do instead to help shape the process in a way that it, it produces the outcomes that they want? Yeah. So, I, I what we what we suggest is, um, you know, if you, if you want to have activity metrics, I think that's fine. Um, nothing wrong with that, but, but, you know, enforce that alongside some type of success metric. So meaning that, you know, if you are going to say, you know, you, you need to send 200 emails a week, uh, you should also have some, some goal around like your connect rates, you know, you want to connect with, you're doing that so that you can connect with 20 new people a week or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and that way you you, you kind of get both because what what ends up happening is as soon as as soon as you say hey email you need to email two hundred people the quality of those emails goes down the the number of people you're connecting with goes down and you kind of to to what you were saying about losing 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 sight of the big picture you you kind of forget why you're actually doing that and that is to connect with people to to close deals so um, you know i think having some type of success metric that just isn't based on on volume and how and how many people you can blast emails to or you know something that is more effort based like having a success criteria i think is is the key there yeah interesting i mean i just wonder whether and i was thinking about this as you're talking is is whether or not you could have well i guess maybe not i maybe answering my own questions i'm about getting ready to pose it for you is so what if you went the opposite extreme and just had a success metric? Yeah, so I mean you could also do you could also do that. I think it it um if the success metric is is kind of like a is volume based and not percentage based then I think you yeah, that's fine, right? Like saying that your your success metric is a 15% success rate or connect rate for example, like that's probably not there's probably room for error there, right? Cuz you could have that connect rate, but only connect with four people, depending on what your kind of denominator is. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think that, and, and I mean, I think that inherently there are a lot of success metrics that are, that are like that. You know, if you're an SDR, like most more likely than not, you, your, your goal is number of meetings. You know what I mean? It's not percent of, you know, like a meeting conversion rate or, or something like that. Um, but I think the, the, where the problem lies is you have these end metrics, whether it's, you know, meeting set or, um, dollars closed that are very kind of volume based, but the um, secondary metrics and the secondary uh, ways that people are evaluated to get to there are are such that you 
um, it lends itself to kind of screw you in the long run. You, you mean, see that, you being uh, the company like, or the, the individual? Uh, I mean, both, right? Yeah. Um, I think that just because you, you don't end up hitting your goals, you know? You see this a lot in actually in uh, the way that companies talk about pipeline coverage, right? When they, they'll say, mm-hmm. you know, we need 5x uh, pipeline coverage, meaning if on the first day of the quarter we have 5x in pipeline, what our goal is, then we're going to hit our goal because that's what happened last quarter, the last year, something like that. And so then managers are like, okay, let, let's fill that pipeline. And then you ultimately, if when that's the focus, just filling the pipeline, you end up with a lot of stale opportunities or opportunities where the amounts are exaggerated or things like that. And then or just, companies just will plainly unqualified. Yeah, right. And because then com- if, if your goal, if, if your incentive is, I want to get names and logos into my pipeline, then you'll be less concerned about the quality. Yeah, and and but the crazy thing is, so the company will miss their quarter, and then they'll look at the they'll you know be data driven and look at the numbers and say, oh well, actually you know given last quarter we actually need seven x pipeline coverage in order to hit our goal. <laughs> so then I- instead of saying, well maybe this is this is like not the best way to to kind of manage to our goal, so then they'll go for seven x and then the the problem continues. Yeah, well it's it sort of breaks down to several stats. I mean, one is yeah instead of having yeah, 7x coverage, they could just say, yeah, we need 12 deals. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you run, you run into problems there as well because, you know, if that's kind of the goal you you set, you t- will tend to kind of close smaller deals if, if, if that's kind of what you're aiming for, right? Well, why do you um, think if you have a, a, a quantity-based goal that's supposed to a – a percent coverage, you know, it's the thing that's really driving your, your work. Why do you think that encourages smaller deals? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're telling your reps, I just need 10 deals out of you this quarter, I need 12 deals out of you this quarter. Um, if there's not some regulation around like the types of deals, I I would, I would worry that you would end up with 12 small deals. Yeah. No, I meant, you know, if you had done the math, you say, Hey, we divide the number. It comes up to 10 deals, right? So, Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. That would be better. Yeah, I think that I wonder, and you tell me, as as it seems certainly from the the research I've done and and the companies I've talked to that you you get sort of a glimmer of a little bit of a pushback about you know these strict act, adherence to activity metrics because it takes some of the it takes some quite frankly it takes some of the initiative away from the salespeople. You know, in terms of there's a way they could do it better, thus, you know. The coverage ratios don't necessarily work for John because John, yeah, John just does things differently, and you know, for him, two times coverage is is what he needs. Yeah, he's going yeah, to he's going to price to get seven, even though two would work fine for him. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I think I think what it boils in, in my opinion, I think what it boils down to is uh, the more stressful the situation, and I would I would say startups are are fairly stressful in terms of the expectations set and sure. the pressure Being an to SDR perform. Is extremely extremely stressful. Totally. So I, th- I think that the, the more stressful the situation, I think the more likely people are to like crave that control, right? And I think that by having your metrics be activity-based, something where I could just sit down in an hour and bust out 100 emails or find 50 new contacts, uh, but I can't just sit down for an hour and set five meetings. You know, that, that's not really in my control. So I think that, you know, given, given the stress of the job, I think there's this natural... Uh, gravitation towards control, and I, I think that like that's how control is expressed in the sales world is is focusing on metrics that uh, you can 
like very, that's very uh, correlated with time in terms of the ability to affect that metric. But you're saying they're not correlated with outcomes. Uh, no, I mean not not in our experience. I mean, you probably <laughs> talk to more company. You probably talk to more companies than we do. But I, I mean, that is, well, that's uh, to me that's that's the big problem that I see is that 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 yeah, a lot of activity is not necessarily correlated to outcomes unless you put enough numbers behind it, and then ultimately the numbers the numbers begin to win out. Yeah, but not but they're not necessarily scalable. Yep. Yep. I mean, I mean, yeah, like, you know, when I was at my last company, there was this, there was this one rep who, you know, would email, send more emails than anyone else and would one SDR send more emails than anyone else. And, you know, maybe would set 15 meetings a month. And there was another SDR that maybe sent 30 emails a month or 40 emails a month or, but, you know, ended up with the same 15 meetings. And I think it's, it's, it's scary to say, you know, this person has something that works, so we're okay with them sending, averaging, you know, 1.3 emails a day. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think it raises a whole other question, which is the one that, that I think you and I had spoken once on the phone about this several months ago, is really what is productivity in sales? Because you just you – just, Raised a great point. So yeah, if you have somebody that's uh, sending out 1.4 emails per day versus somebody that's sending 100 per day, and yet they're closing the same amount of deals, then you have somebody whose productivity, A, is extremely high, but B, they have unused capacity that they're not putting to use that they could use to sell even more. And th- and this is this is where companies don't really think about it this way, right? I mean, if you had that guy that was sending 1.4 emails per day and was closing the same as somebody sending 100, who let's say was also meeting target, I'd look at that and say the guy 1.4 is like, well, hell, you should be doing a lot more. Because if you just exercised a little bit more of your time, even if you just did double what you're doing, you're saying 2.8 <laughs> per day, which is not stressing you out, theoretically, you would have a marginal increase in your sales somewhere between two and, you know, two times and, and zero, but it'd be more. Maybe I, I, but, but I think that, you know, the, the other way to look at that is that that person is sending so few emails because they're, they're so targeted and that person is trying to re- is reach the exact right person every time. You know what I mean? Like, I think like, you know, I, I should sure. also make the argument. I mean, put it this well, way. You would never, you would never tell the person sending a hundred emails a day, but Hey, you know, you could probably just work a couple more hours, send 200 emails a day, and, and you'd be golden. You know what I mean? Well, no, but I wasn't saying they'd work more. What I was saying, though, is that, yeah, you have somebody that's got a f- that's fully loaded, 100 emails a day. They're spending, you know, let's say they work to the industry statistics in terms of they're spending 35 40% of their time actually selling, and then, you know, the rest doing whatever they need to do, finding content, uh, building their list, so on. And then you got this other person who's, Spending one, you know, sending one point four per day, and not to get too up on this example, but by necessity, they're going to have they're going to have a lot more free time during that day. So it's not like for them to send out two point eight emails or so on is going to require them to stay after work. And this is this is the thing I think we get the difference in productivity that managers don't really focus on, which is yeah, if you if you have somebody like this that's really performing high at a high rate. 
they undoubtedly are getting more accomplished with less expenditure of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so that means there's more time available for them that if they just did 50% more, theoretically, that's again, their incremental return on that would be somewhere between zero and, and 50% more. But it, yeah, it would be I mean, more of something. And that's, that's yeah. what I think. That's the productivity conundrum I think we have is that we don't, um, we don't gauge what people are accomplishing based on the amount of time they're investing in doing it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think back again to that kind of need for control. I think time is something that's really hard to quantify. You know what I mean? It's, it's much, it's very easy for a sales manager to look in Salesforce and see how many emails are sent. I think it's very hard for them to accurately say, you know, you spent 12 or 15 or 20 hours uh, crafting emails and sending emails. Well, so that's a question I have for you is, so what are you seeing out there in terms of the tools that are coming out? Because there are some, I know, that are getting close to being able to capture that information. How much time you're spending creating emails, how much time you're on the phone, and so on. And, uh, and I don't think that's, I know some people push back, say that's sort of big brotherish that you're knowing every second. But it's not, you know, it's not a time motion, <laughs> time motion study. It's based on how many hours are you investing to get a certain outcome? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I think that technology will obviously like continue to get better. Um, I think, you know, once again, though, I I don't know I don't know if actually you know understanding time is 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 the is the key there. I think it's understanding efficiency and effectiveness and. Um, I think it will. Well, I mean, theoretically, I, I think it would be it would be you know your results per hour of work or, or something like right. that. Right. Um, so and that's how we measure productivity in the economy at large, right? A rate of output per unit of input. Yeah, that, that's fair. So so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, that's that's sort of the the great frontier for sales because you know people have. We talk about we want to create more selling time for salespeople, right? That if they perform at a let's say they have a certain output of, of revenue for one hour of selling time, you know, we could do the math and come up with that for all of them. Um, you know, what we sort of talk about now is let's well, let's make more selling time for them during the day. You know, get the bureaucratic stuff off their plate, make sure that they don't have to search for content. All these things we can do to free up selling time. Yeah, that's great. But what if we could? raise that top number, the numerator, and increase the rate of output per hour. I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I think that, um, you know, if, if in addition to being able to measure time, we can, we can somehow kind of enforce time spent, then I could definitely see that being valuable. I think, you know, the problem there is that you know, there's a lot of lot of sales tools, right? That will say, you know, we're going to save we're going to save X number of hours a month per per rep, which means that it's this many more sales, right? And then there's this inherent assumption that if my rep spends two less hours per month, um, you know, cr- generating order forms or prospecting or se- sending follow up emails, that they're going to be spending those two hours selling, and uh, I, I don't not know a, if that's a good assumption, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know if that, if that, if that, hap- if that will happen. So, you know, like I'm well, thinking, I, I don't think it does. Yeah. So, you know, 
I think that the there's kind of this like productivity uh, kind of like fallacy kind of going on where one you know exactly, and that's that's why I so look at the perspective I was telling you. So I'm not assuming they'll spend any more hours selling. It's how do I get them to increase the output for the units, the hours they do invest. Because I'm with you. I think I think you could theoretically go through and say, yeah, let's let's uh, let's free up a bunch of time for for sales reps, but we don't ever seem to see that materialize. So if that's the case, let's just, what can we do to make them more productive for the time they do spend? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I worry that we are a while away from, from being able to do that effectively. <laughs> I mean, are, are there any, are there tools that you're excited about that you think could, could help with that? Not to do it completely. I mean, unfortunately the only way to do it is, is manually. Yeah. Right now. And, and, but there are companies that do it manually. I mean, they probably have systems that, that support, but I mean, effectively doing it manually because people are, the way you do it is you collect the hours that people work on the tasks they work on. Yeah. Anyway, we can, let's, so let's go on to another one that you talked about. I thought was an interesting term. You talk about asymmetric metric variability. So, it seems like a fancy way of saying that when a metric is not estimated correctly, it's far more likely to be estimated incorrectly in only one direction, usually the, the, the positive direction. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, you know, an example would be if you go to the store and you, and you get improper change from the cashier, right? Uh, how do you know if that cashier is dishonest versus they just aren't good at giving change? Right. Well, you know that because if they're just not good at giving change, sometimes you're going to get too much back. Sometimes you're going to get shorted. But if you always get shorted, uh, meaning that you know it's right. it's asymmetric, meaning there's the returns of that of that outcome are much more skewed towards one direction. That's how you kind of know. Um, and so, I think that the kind of like catch-all argument um, in the world of sales when it comes to data is, you know, when when. Uh, like number of deals goes down in a particular month or win rate goes up for a particular month or goes down. There's kind of this idea that like, Oh, like it'll all even out in the long run. You know, um, this is, you know, law, law of large numbers, like this will all mm-hmm, average out mm-hmm, and will mm-hmm. return. And, um, I think the argument that, that I would make is that there are some metrics that are not going to return to some, you know, quote unquote normal because there's a skewed distribution in, in, in those outcomes. And I think that, uh, you know, um, uh, forecasted amounts and forecasted close dates definitely fall into that bucket. Um, <laughs> well, but see, I, I sort of take an opposite view of what you were saying. Uh, is that you think it's you think it's far more likely that a, when a rep overestimates, or excuse me, you think it's far more likely that a rep will overestimate the size of a deal versus underestimate. Yeah, correct. Correct. And see, yeah, my experience has been the opposite. Because <laughs> reps sandbag. Oh, you know, interesting. I mean, that's that's gosh for decades of experience I've had managing sales teams. That's been sort of the the big problem. You know, they they're more likely to be uh, too optimistic about when the deal is going to close, but they're also at least my experience is more likely to underestimate because you know they want to be the hero. Gotcha. So, so then when, in, interesting. So I would say that that's, I definitely see that with enterprise reps or reps that I would say have like 10 plus years experience. Um, 
But what I would say is with with younger uh, sales reps or, or less experienced oh. sales reps, I, what I see happen a lot is that reps very rarely take into consideration uh, the amount of discounting that will ultimately end up happening to get that deal closed. And, and so that ends up being a huge reason why, you know, a, an, an opportunity that's been at 100K for the last four months closes one day for, for 60 or 70. Uh, okay. So there's an, an experience curve. Uh, or an experience discount, if you will, yeah, <laughs> that, that takes so, effect. Yeah, I mean, I mean, do you, is that is that not been as much your experience? Do you think it's it's predominantly sandbagging? Um, well, no, I I think you may be onto something. I think the the experienced reps are certainly going to be more accurate. Um, now, whether they sandbag more or less, yeah, I've seen it. Both ways, I guess. A lot of sandbagging. <laughs> a lot of sandbagging, especially in the enterprise enterprise space. Um, but yeah, I like your thought about the fact that more ex- less experienced reps uh, may be more prone to overestimating size of a deal because they won't understand the the negotiation that's take place to get the deal closed. Yeah, and you know the other thing I would say, and it's it's not particularly surprising, but I think that. It, that that also is affected by the metrics that the company manages their reps to during the quarter. So companies that really care about pipeline coverage, you're not going to get as much sandbagging because reps are pressured to to bolster those opportunities because they need to a certain you know multiple of, of coverage. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, well, um, the, thing, the thing you sort of counter against that though is you know this. So we've got these. Percentage of coverages we want to have, or you know, multiples of coverage we want to have, multiples of in the pipeline, and whether it's five or seven or you know, situation dependent. But then we all see the reports, we all see the research done that's saying anywhere from fifty to one. I saw last week eighty percent of qualified opportunities in pipelines don't close or turn into no decision decisions, um, which means that the coverage is a myth anyway. Because if you have that much fallout out of your pipeline to deals that never close, or at least don't close on that go-round, let's say, so you know they reach a no decision point, then the coverage seems like a bit of a myth anyway. Yeah, I, I guess. It depends on how you look at it. Like, you know, I, I could argue that the coverage does work because it factors in those kind of like stuff that will never close. But um, I would I would agree that that in general the the idea of like managing pipeline coverage is probably not the best way to to go about managing your team. Interesting, interesting. So Greg, I've got some. We're in the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And um, first one is a hypothetical scenario where you you Greg you've just been hired as VP of Sales at a company with sales of hit a rough patch, they sort of slowed down, and the CEO is anxious to hit the reset button, get things back on track. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? Um, good question. I, I guess the, the two things that I would do is I, I'd want to understand uh, how my managers spend their time. So I'd probably work with them to figure out you know, how they're, how they're leading one-on-ones, what they care about. Um, and where their blind spots are, mm-hmm. and I'd also and I'd also be interested in figuring out from our customers what they don't like about our product. And so to do that, I'd probably end up talking to customer support. In my experience, I think those people kind of have the best idea of what customers don't like about the product. So I would say meet with customer support and meet with my managers. So question for you: If you want to find out, you know, what the customers thought and so on, why not talk to the customers? Um, 
I, I, you know, I, you probably could do that and should do that. That's probably my like personal insecurity. I'm, I'm really bad at say, at selling. So I would, <laughs> I would probably be hesitant to, to talk to customers. Um, but I, I would probably agree that like, that would probably be, be better. Um, although what I would say though, is that, you know, and we see this with the companies we work with is, you know, talking to customers, you could very easily kind of um, inflate your sense of how predominant a problem is across your customer base, right? So talking to a customer service rep, he's going to distill a problem that he's heard 50 times. Whereas if I talk to a couple customers and they're really passionate about a particular problem, it's hard for me to tell um, how how prevalent that problem is. True. But it's not as if... Not to, you know, it's not as if a customer success person also wouldn't have an agenda, though. Um, that's true. Yeah. So, okay. That's interesting. So, um, all right, you say you're not very good at sales, but we just have a few rapid-fire questions for you about sales. So, when you are out selling your own services at Claris Designs, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Listening. I would say that listening to people's tones and the way that they speak is is probably my is probably my best asset. I think just because I, I think from for me being more of an auditory person, I think mm-hmm. being able to hear hear in people's tones um, what is really important to them and, and right. what is more like a problem that they're repeating because that's something they hear a lot but don't really believe in. Um, I, I think being able to hear what people truly have conviction in is is probably my mo- most powerful tool. Okay. So who's your, do you have like a sales role model or a business role model? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say probably business role model would be my father. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, he was the first one in his family to go to college. Yeah. You know, growing, growing up kind of looking at him, he person that I, that I think of when I think about, you know, wanting to, to do more with my own life. Okay. Um, so one book, what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson should read? Uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. I think that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be an expert in behavioral economics or anything like that. But I think that understanding your own biases, uh, you know, case in point, uh, forecasting and things like that. But understanding your own biases, I think, is a, is a huge uh, reason why uh, successful salespeople do well. Because they understand what they're good at and what they're not good at, and they're honest about that. Okay. So last question. What music's on your playlist? Um, I mostly read, uh, listen to audiobooks, but uh, when I do listen to music, uh, I would say probably like Blink-182 or Metallica or something like that. Blink-182, they're back and on tour. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Actually, I was interviewing someone recently who had seen them this summer. So he also was excited they were back. So, uh, well, good. Well, Greg, thanks for joining us. Tell folks how they can find out more about Claris Designs and connect with you. Um, yeah, uh, we, you can find us uh, on the web at uh, clarisdesigns.com, uh, C-L-A-R-U-S, um, or you can email me directly, greg at clarisdesigns.com. Um, yeah, uh, thanks so much for your time, Andy. This was great. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. It's fun having you, and we'll have you back on to talk about because I could dig into this forever. So, Greg, thanks. Friends, thank you for joining us this time. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Greg Daly, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. 
And if you enjoy Accelerate and the value we're delivering, then please take a quick minute right now to leave your feedback about this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. It would be very much appreciated. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 